Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. Questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Welcome to Restoring the Soul. I'm Michael John Cusick, and this is the podcast that helps you close the gap between what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. Welcome to the program. It's Michael, and my guest today is New York Times bestselling author Stacy Eldridge, who has a brand new book out called Defiant Joy, and we'll be talking about that in the interview ahead. Stacy is also the author of the New York Times bestseller, Captivating, Unveiling the Mystery of a Woman's Soul, that she co-authored with her husband, John. She also co-authored the bestselling book, Love and War, and has authored the book, Becoming Myself. She also has uh, a set of 90-day devotionals, including a book called Beautiful Now and then a devotional called Beautiful Me, which is a devotional written for young women. Stacy received her bachelor's degree in sociology from San Diego State University, and she says that she attended in San Diego because it was close to the beach. Uh, in her junior year of college, and she talks about this during the interview, she became a follower of Jesus, and she dove head first into ministry with Campus Crusade for Christ. She graduated college, and then she joined the staff of Youth for Christ, where she headed up a ministry to pregnant teenagers and teen mothers. And ever since then, she has been active in ministry, and she loves to write and speak to women about the goodness of God. And you will really be in for a treat as you listen to this conversation, because Stacy is just so much from the heart, um, kind of a, a say-it-like-it-is person, and um, her writing has a beautiful spirituality to it, but also a depth that really brings together kind of the brokenness and messiness of life with the reality of the good news of Christ, which of course is what this podcast is all about, of connecting um, who we're meant to be and what keeps us from being all of that. So, I will say more in the introduction to part two of this conversation. Stacy was gracious enough to go uh, much longer than our scheduled time, so we'll have a part one and part two. But I'm excited for you to jump into my conversation with Stacy Eldridge about Defiant Joy. 
So Stacy Eldridge, we've never met face to face, but we've vicariously crossed paths through different people that we know. And I'm so delighted to talk with you today. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, I am so glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. Your new book is Defiant Joy, Taking Hold of Hope, Beauty, and Life in a Hurting World. And man, if there was ever a time where we needed a message uh, about joy, these are the times. So what prompted you, what was happening in your heart to write a whole book about joy? Well, uh, I actually wrote this book in what was uh, one of the hardest seasons of my life, a really tough year. And it was a time where joy seemed out of reach and impossible. And in the midst of that, to read verses like rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice or that the joy of the Lord is my strength. I needed to know what he was talking about because certainly um, in the season, it wasn't a time to be singing and skipping around the garden all day. And so I, I knew that it had to be something else. And, um, you know, I think it'd be helpful just to, to flesh out a little bit about what was going on in my life that year. And, um, it was a year where we lost a brother. Um, we lost our first grandson in a excruciating miscarriage. Months later, we lost our best friend to his fight with leukemia. Um, had a betrayal from someone that I thought was a very close friend and turned out not to be. I think everybody knows actually what that's like, and that's just awful. And then and then I was also in the worst physical pain I've ever been in my life. So there were literally days that I was on the ground, on the floor, in the carpet, sobbing. Not only because of the pain, but also feeling like I wasn't doing it right. Wasn't living well in it. And it was in the midst of that, it was literally being on the floor, that um, God and the Holy Spirit prompted me to, in, invited me really, to know a joy that was a completely different substance than mere happiness, something that would help me to be rooted and grounded in him and give me the strength I needed to, to be tethered to hope, to, to fix my gaze off of my pain or my grief and onto what the truer reality I was living in. So that was the genesis of it. And that's where the word defiant, because it really does require a defiant stance against against the world, against the messages that are happening all around us all the time. And as I hear the word defiant, and you actually uh, anticipated my my next question about why defiant, I, I get this picture of a referee or maybe the Gandalf picture from Lord of the Rings, but where there's a hand, uh, you know, the mama bear outward saying, no, I will not go there or it will not pass, whether it's the despair or the depression or the temptation to just lay on the floor and be miserable. But it sounds like you had to actively engage in that process yourself to defy what was kind of natural. Absolutely. And I, I really love the word defiant. I think there's a stubbornness in most people given them for a reason. And it, and it really requires the strength of spirit to, to stand against um, the message that we are given that sorrow and suffering have the final word. And we get it on the newsfeed. We, we hear about horrible things that happen on the other side of the world within 30 seconds of them happening. We have crisis in our backyard, crisis in our neighbors, crisis in our own life. And it does take a stance of strength to say no. Like, yeah, the hand lifted up saying, no, you actually don't get the final word. And I'm not going to base my life 
on the newsfeed. I'm going to base it on the finished work of Christ and the hope that I have in him. And that just, that just changes everything. It really does. It, it does. And I've tasted that. And I know the authenticity and power of your ministry. But one of the things I really love about your ministry and your writing is that it's so authentic. And so I know that you didn't go from A to B by just waking up one day and praying a prayer and it was better. So can you talk a little bit uh, what what that uh, Saturday, you know, if, if Good Friday is the crucifixion and Easter Sunday is the resurrection, what was the Saturday process like for you to be able to defy the world and step into joy? You know, I, I think that I often live in Saturday, Michael. Mm. I'm not a woman. I'm not even a morning person, you know, and then I, I don't wake up going, yay, it's a new day. I can't wait to see what this thing is coming my way. That's not my bent. My bent has actually been with depression and, and battling and overcoming that. And um, so on any given day, today, for instance, driving into work, um, I, I kind of take, take my temperature. What am I feeling? And then, then taking it further, what am I believing? Cause that's having a direct effect on how I'm feeling. And then, and that takes work. It takes an intentionality just not to skip along in my day, but to actually stop and take a pulse. How, what am I believing? And is that, is that base? Is that rooted in the finished work? Is that, is that rooted in all that Jesus has won for me and the truth of the goodness that's coming? And if it's not, then shift my gaze. And my emotions don't immediately pop in. It's, it's not actually, I don't believe an emotional thing. I think joy has a couple of different meanings. And one is, yay, you know, I'm, I'm so happy, I'm joyous. But I think that the biblical instruction and where we're told about it being the, the fruit of the spirit and the joy of the Lord being our strength and to rejoice always is something else altogether. I think it's a truth where we're rooted into eternity. And so for me, it's an intentionality of, of fixing my gaze, cultivating my heart towards that, and then also um, cultivating a heart of gratitude. Really, really key. All, all which uh, imply words like cultivate a process and a journey uh, as opposed to a moment. You know, you said something, uh, I, I whenever I read a book, I mark it up with different colors and flip the pages and dog ear them and write in the columns. But one of the things I uh, love that you wrote was that joy is not happiness on steroids or happiness squared. Right. Which we often think it is, right? If I'm extra, extra happy, then I'm joyous. Uh, but that's, that's not it. Joy is a substance that's reserved for those that are tapping into the kingdom of God. Yeah. So you actually wrote, you said that um, joy is deeply rooted in the availability of God and his kingdom right here, right now. And for many people that aren't familiar with your writing and the kind of ministry and work that you do, uh, that may be a new idea to them. There's an availability to God beyond just salvation and what Jesus did on the cross. So can you unpack that a little? I love what my husband says, he says the Bible is not a book of exceptions. It's, it's not, look how great it was where people could have this intimate conversational relationship with God um, back then, but you don't get that, but isn't this a good story? No, this is a story of examples and, and what, what is available to us. So 
we're given the Holy Spirit as a counselor, as a guide. It says, it says in the word that he, he leads us into more truth. That Jesus had so much he wanted to say, but he didn't have enough time. But that's okay because the Holy Spirit's going to come and he'll impart to you all kinds of truth. So we're meant to walk, live day by day with the God of the universe who wants to be speaking to us, instructing us, guiding us all the time. All the time, and on the, on the big decisions, on the little decisions, and, and certainly in the place where we are searching for meaning and significance and who we are as a human being. Um, as you're talking, I, I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to my own inner process, but as a counselor, I'm also like having three or four different conversations at once. And one of them is, as I was reading the book, I was excited for the message there, but I was aware of a voice in my own head that was like, yeah, I don't know. This kind of seems too good to be true. The joy, maybe. Defiant joy, I don't know. And then if so, it's just going to be fleeting. So why bother? What's the point? And I wonder, um, even before we get to or back to the idea of joy, that so many people feel that what you're speaking about, this availability of God, that that's just too good to be true. That it is true. No, that's just one of it's too good to be true. Like we, we can't outthink God. We can't make it better than he really is. And, and really the, the challenge is just take him up on it. Just give it a shot. You know, consider that it's true for a moment that, that what the Bible says is true, that, that we are not defined by our failures, our brokenness. We're not defined by the wounds we've received or the harm that's been done to us. We're defined by the living God as sought after, valuable, precious, worth so much to him that he redeemed us, ransomed us with his own blood. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And, and, and to really dive into his heart, and I, I've been doing this, I've been a Christian for about 35 years, but really diving into who is this Jesus, really, probably for about the last 20. And the more I get to know him, the better he gets. So that's, that's, you know, what I want more than anything is for people to come to know him more deeply because when you do, you love him and, and you also have a shift in who you are as a person because you get to see yourself as he does. And it's so much better than we see ourselves. So really the only thing to lose is uh, disappointment. And that strikes me that you write about a lot of different barriers to joy and that uh, cynicism and skepticism are certainly barriers to joy, but also just letting disappointment define us instead of hope. Absolutely. And, and who is not acquainted with disappointment? I mean, we all are. And I think, I think that's one of the reasons for this book is that it's not a fluffy book, you know, mm -hmm. now skipping the daisies all day long. It's about the mess that we find ourselves in and, and the pain and the seasons, whether it's a season of great goodness or a season of travail, there is a way that we can know God that gives us a sure footing. So yeah, it is about hope and what is our hope based on? And, and just knowing that there's, there is a goodness. We can actually be expectant of good all the time, which is just crazy, but fabulous. I'm really aware in my own heart and in my own life, I, I read pretty widely and as a former professor, I, I think deeply and stuff. And so I'm always looking at new ideas and things. And I've uh, had a contemplative prayer 
and meditation practice for quite some time now. And I can easily confuse the path with the end. In other words, that reading a book on joy or doing this kind of prayer or uh, having a new spiritual discipline, that that's going to give me the joy as opposed to what you're saying. And it's refreshing, but it's also uh, uh, humbling, is the idea that joy really only comes from Jesus and, and um, that any practice or belief system or new book really just points us to him, and that's where the joy is. And certainly we can, in flowers or, or mountain climbing or um, having a wonderful meal, there can be joy in that, and those are all his good gifts. But again, I'm going through my mind going, wow, there's no shortcut around this. <laughs> it's Jesus. There really isn't a shortcut around it. I mean, we are, we are made for bliss. We're made for it. And, and he says that he is joy. He, it is a fruit of the spirit. And it, every human being has the capacity, every healthy human being has the capacity for happiness. But joy is reserved for those that are tapping into his heart and his kingdom. And if it is the heartbeat of heaven, and I think it is, because he's not a disappointed, worried God wringing his hands over elections or anything um it it is reserved and that's kind of a that's a challenging thing to say i'm not saying you can't be happy you can't know connection and deep goodness but if you want the real thing then you need to be tethered to the truths of reality and tethered to eternity well all of the most compelling people that i know even the ones that are not followers of Jesus, they're all just joyful. They're fun to be around, aren't they? <laughs> or, or they can be really, really annoying, right? Yeah, it depends. I have one friend who's just naturally buoyant, and every day is like, this is the best day of my life. Or <laughs> this is the best coffee I have ever had. And the thing is, the girl means it, you know? And, and so it just it brings a lightness. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's a very childlike uh perspective. I I wish I could get there more often. I want to come back to something you said. Um, I once heard Graham Cook talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He said, before we go any further, um, let's stop and address the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is not a smorgasbord where in each little container, you know, here's love, joy, peace, but that each of the fruits are God's heart and character and being. And you just said that joy is God. So say a little bit more about that. Yeah. And I love this conversation because I know that you have a lot of thoughts on it. I think you're much better well read than I am. So I don't know about that. <laughs> I've only one I've only read one book ever. Captivating. <laughs> well, if you're only gonna read one, I uh, that's a good one. That's the uh, one. You is it is Master how do you say his name? Eckhart? Uh Meister Eckhart. Meister Eckhart, who said that we are born out of the laughter of the Trinity. Mm. And, and I, I adore that. You just think about the sense of humor of God, you know, looking around at creation and his, his joy, his generosity. We get to learn so much about him by looking around. His character is, um, he is hilarious. Platypus, <laughs> you know, just come on. Um, or the adoration of my dogs who are sitting at my feet right now, just the beauty of it. So joy is beautiful. 
We have a beautiful God who has created the stars and the universe and named them, who's got you and I and babies and puppies and lions and the Serengeti, all of it, just this stunning creation. And there's so much that he tells us about himself and what he has created and how he moves and how he pursues and how he, he reigns and rules and how much he loves. He is love. God is love. He's the king of love. And it's not a depressed love. It's a hopeful, joyous, coming after you. I reveal myself to you. You're going to come chasing after me. Love. He, he is a joyous God. Hmm. It's so different of a perspective to think about joy, not as, uh, again, a consequence of something or even a goal to be joyful, but that it actually is part of his essence, part of his very being. Right. So it has to be available at all times to us because he's available to us at all times. And so I have a good day and it's naturally easy to go. Yes, I believe the truth. And I think that is essential in order to possess a joy that's rooted but then the other days, when it's a little bit more of a challenge, it comes like training my heart to turn the other direction and where is life found? What do you truly believe? Okay, just the whole thing about gratitude, how that's key to be joyful, mm-hmm. I think is, is kind of amazing the way God made us that way. Well, here's a rabbit trail I probably shouldn't go down, but I did, and I will come back to your book in a minute, but you, um, you know, you had a lot of scripture in the the book obviously that tells us about joy and um you know trouble is for a night but joy comes in the morning and james one consider it all joy um when you face trials and hebrews 12 let us fix our eyes on jesus for who for the joy set before him and um i talk a lot with people who are suffering and um, whether because of past trauma or present, but this conversation just prompted in my mind this idea that if God is joy, and if he is love, joy, peace, patience, and all the different fruits of the Spirit, that means that just like Paul having joy in the prison in Rome, that somehow God is feeling all of the, the weight of our suffering as a good father, but that he also feels joy and peace in all of those fruits. Because uh, he can't disassociate himself from those. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever had that thought that, like, in the midst of horrible suffering, that there's a joy right beside that? Right. It's almost too much to fathom. But where I go with that is just that our God sees the end from the beginning. He's He knows the end of the story, and he sees the restoration as if it's already done. He doesn't diminish our pain. He doesn't diminish our suffering. It's very real. And he doesn't ask us to either really wants us to walk through it deeply with him, knowing that that is the path to life, to joy, to healing, to restoration. But you know, he really looks at things a lot differently than I do. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Thankfully. But that's the hope uh, is in the end from the beginning that is not the hope of our circumstances changing ultimately or the hope uh, attached to a consequence or attached to a certain kind of outcome, but the hope that ultimately he's, uh, he's enough in the midst of it, that he's good, that we can trust him and that there is going to be a day when all things are made right. Hurrah. And yes, 
you, in chapter two, wrote about, um, in a way that I, I thought was just so really clear, was two different approaches to joy, um, both of which are kind of contrasting mistakes of thinking about this. And then you propose a third way. Can you talk about those? Can you remind me what I said? Yeah, I just did a, I just did a, uh, a Star Trek geek question, didn't I? There's an old Saturday Night Live skit where William Shatner is at a Star Trek convention, and this geek says, um, hey, do you remember in episode 24 of season one when in scene three, you and the Vulcan were standing there, and Shatner just looks at him like, get a life. So you were talking about um, the what I call kind of the prosperity, name it and claim it, that Joy oh, yeah. is just just immediately available. And then the other side of people that, that go, eh, I'm just, you know, that's something for heaven and to kind of delay. Thanks. Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's just flesh those both out a little bit. Um, I, I don't know if it was when I became a Christian, just the whole name and claim it thing. Um, you want that red convertible? Just you pray for the, you just claim that red convertible. And, and it's, it's not like it only happened 30 years ago. It's happening today. It's very pop. It's a very popular, um, you can have an amazing life now. And the focus is on your life now. And um, just, just believe it, receive it, and that's it. And I think it does a huge disservice to the body of Christ. I don't think it's biblical, and it certainly doesn't flesh out in reality. Because then when you hit a time of suffering, and nobody gets out of that. Nobody has a pain-free life. Then it's, it's God is holding out on me, or more likely I am blowing it in some deep way. Um, and we all know stories. I have a dear friend who he fell from the ladder. He's paralyzed now from the next down, and it's been 30 years. But early on, the people that would say, if you just believed, you would be healed, and you just need to name it and claim it. And it's, oh, it's... It's cruel and it's wrong. Mm. Then there's the other side that is just makes a theology out of their disappointment. That oh, I, I love that line. They <laughs> make a theology out of their disappointment. Right? Like I prayed, it didn't work, so God doesn't answer prayers. Or I, I tried this, it didn't work, so he's not listening or he's not active or he doesn't care when when you gotta go into what the scriptures say jesus doesn't promise a pain-free life he says in this world you will have suffering and yes he is sometimes the master of understatement but he said take heart i've overcome the world but he and he also promises that he is a healer he does come and we have to wrestle with that out because he doesn't heal everything the way we want him to do it or in the timing we want him to do it um so to, to camp out on either one of those is, is a shortcut and almost a death that we're not meant to take. It's a harder road to, to say, Jesus, you said I'm going to suffer. Use it for my good. Use it for my transformation. And you say you're involved. I believe you. And to not have our hearts hardened out of disillusionment but even a place of that to pray to have him soften him, you know, come for me, Jesus, in the midst of this. You've been listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. 
produced by Brian Beatty and supported by generous listeners like you. To learn more about our life-changing intensive counseling process for couples and individuals, visit RestoringTheSoul.com 